This is the Happen to Your Career Podcast, episode 185. The most likely outcome of that experience was death. That was the, the by far and away the most likely outcome of that experience was, was me leaving Earth. And then the second most likely outcome was me becoming a quadriplegic. So I would have been able to talk, um, which was great because I like talking, but everything basically from my neck down just would have been a piece of meat. And that was my life. This has happened to your career. We help you stop doing work that doesn't fit you, figure out what does, and then make it happen. Whether you're looking to do your own thing or find your dream job, you've come to the right place. I'm Scott Barlow. I was unsure about how to define myself. This is Sutender. He found himself stuck in needing help figuring it all out. I've amassed a variety of skills over the years. I was confused about my professional identity and I felt lost and unsure about which route to move forward in. I wanted to clarify my skills and interests with a view to identifying my next career move. Listen for Sutender's story later on in the episode to learn how he used coaching to help him finally figure out what fits him. I wasn't aware of just how strong my skill set is, so I feel really good about the possibilities that are open to me now. This is Scott Anthony Barlow, and you are listening to Happen to Your Career. This is the show that helps you figure out what work fits you by exploring other stories. We get to bring on experts like Emily Wapnick, who helps people that don't have just one calling, and also people that have pretty amazing stories like Matt Toy, who was ignoring everything around him and not 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 paying attention to what was right in front of him to what he really should be doing and how he should be developing his career so these are people that are just like you they've gone from where they are to what they really want to be doing and they're just like our next guest too mj fitzpatrick i basically help people make decisions and that can be everything from someone who is in a career that they've been in for 10, 15, 20 years time and they want to move something else through to people trying to improve their relationship um, and then all the way through to people who are been through some tough times and are trying to figure out how to move forward in their life. And so basically anyone who's open to moving forward, I can help them you know, get some clarity, get a deeper sense of self, again, really grow their emotional intelligence and then use those skills as leverage to move forward in their life. And this was a super super fun episode with with MJ and it was particularly fun because we got to dive deep into how to give yourself permission to do the things that you don't think you could be doing or should be doing or don't think that are even possible for you and really very interesting diving through how to actually how to actually create permission in your life in many different ways I try and stray very far away from the term coach because I actually don't think it's what I do. What I seem to be really good at is just helping people think through what's important to them and then really recognizing, being able to read people well enough to know when they're talking about what they really want to do and then help them remove the obstacles that are allowing them the space to just be able to make that decision and move forward. So it's a really, really cool job to have. I love it. It's very fascinating and you're always being shown new things. And every time you think you found a rule, someone comes along and breaks it. So it's a lot of fun. There are some times when I heavily persuade someone that they should be taking a decision, but I can never truly get someone through the door. I can just get them as close as they can and then, you know, just try and remove every obstacle. But if the person doesn't step through the door themselves, not only will the change not stick, but I don't think I'm doing what my job should be. Interesting. I love that. I mean, ultimately, you can't make people get up in the morning like they have to be able to shut off their own alarms or whatever it might be or run through the door or choose your analogy here. But I absolutely love that for a variety of reasons. And I think you have a unique perspective on it. And I'm curious, where does that start for you? Like if we're going way back, have you always been a decision maker maker, a maker of decision makers? I've got to try out a few things. Uh, Yeah, if you can come up with a new word for what I do, I will pay you all the money in my bank account because I've been struggling for a number of years. I know we've already had this conversation, but... um, Challenge accepted. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You know, I was an extremely, extremely analytical kid growing up. Yeah. 
was always trying to analyze social situations and really was kind of stuck in my head for the majority of my adult life. And I think over time, as I started to learn social skills and started to learn emotional intelligence and really learn who I am, it seemed to be that, you know, whether it's a natural skill or whether somehow I've just put a lot of work into it, I seem to be able to, you know, hear people speak or look at a big data set and just quickly be able to see what's important. When I do my job, I meet this person that I've never met before and they talk to me for five or seven minutes where I'm just kind of listening and I'm, you know, looking at their, how they're speaking and, you know, how their face changes. And it's the skill to be able to say, okay, you've just said five minutes worth of words to me. And it's these three words that you said just here in those first two minutes, that's where we need to focus our attention. And I think that's just what my mind's been good at. That's what I seem to be good at. And it's actually transportable into a lot of different arenas. And so I think I love people. I really love human beings. I love them so much. And the second thing is, is that I think the key competitive advantage that I have when I'm working with people is I'm not trying to diagnose people. I'm not trying to pull people into my world and tell them how to live. I'm trying to go and get into their world and really try to understand them and appreciate the way that they look at the world. And then really having great faith in the fact that, you know, evolution has given us millions and millions and millions of years of advantages in communicating with each other and being able to feel what other people are feeling and inventing mirror neurons so that I can understand what this person is feeling as they're speaking. And I really just trust that. And I try and be as empty as I can and just be as present as possible in the conversation. And I think when those are your mindsets, I actually don't think it's that hard to really understand people and really be able to see what's quite obvious because it's extremely rare that I'm speaking to someone and they don't actually already have the answer. Maybe 80% of the time, I'm really just there to give them permission to really think through what they really want to be doing. And then 20% of the time, it does really seem like this person's blocked from the answer and I have to kind of help them guide towards where they want to go. So I want to come back. One of the things I had hoped to talk with you about today is that whole concept of permission. So I'm definitely want to come back to that. But before we go there, if I recall, you had a number of things happen in your late teenage years, right? That have really colored a lot of this for you. Yeah, I had a couple of fun experiences. So I uh, was a very, very willful, very, very not aggressive physically, but quite aggressive intellectually kid because didn't really have a lot of self-esteem, didn't have a lot of confidence and tried to compensate by that with bravado, but didn't have any physical strength. So I tried to compensate with kind of intellectual bravado to very varying measures of success. And then moved to away from my hometown up to a boarding school here in Sydney and actually was playing rugby union. And some of your listeners may have no idea what that means. It's just basically a different version of American football, but you're not wearing protective gear. And in one of the snaps- It's awesome. Let's just say that. Yeah, it is. It is awesome. In one of the snaps, I got my head in the wrong position and I actually broke my neck. So wow. I ruptured, you know, you have seven bones in your neck and you have pieces of rope that connect the bones together to make sure they don't move too much. And my chin got pushed down on my chest. And if you just put your chin on your chest and then put your hand where your nipples are, my chin was where your hand is now, right? That's how far my neck got pushed. And what happened is those bones started bending so much that one of those pieces of rope actually snapped. And my bones started sliding on each other and they're in there to kind of support structure, but also to protect your spinal cord. And to just simplify this process down a lot, my bones started going down the path of me becoming a quadriplegic and for whatever reason stopped. So the referee blew the whistle, fell over onto my back. And the most likely outcome of that experience was death. That was the, the by far and away the most likely outcome of that experience was me leaving earth. And then the second most likely outcome was me becoming a quadriplegic. So I would have been able to talk, which was great because I like talking, but everything basically from my neck down just would have been a piece of meat. And that was my life. Spent the next five months in and out of hospital, was on significant amount of codeine every day to manage the pain, developed a post-traumatic stress disorder, just huge social anxiety. You know, you take a kid who's already pretty anxious and very, you know, logical and very analytical and not to have a lot of confidence and you put him in a big neck brace that he has to wear 24-7 and special like in the shower. Perfect storm, right? Yes, exactly. Right? Just, yeah, it's such a good news. You know, the bullying that I was going through at school actually got made even worse. My nickname at school was Shitneck. Sorry for swearing, but it's was the name that they called me. And so, yeah, it was just, was not in a very good place. 
was operated on two days after my 18th birthday. Couldn't have an 18th birthday party because I was in a neck brace. Also didn't have many friends. Yeah. And so then left there, went to college and because of the severity of the trauma that I had just been through, I had this operation, was at a hospital where I'm the youngest person by 50 years, Yeah, was really struggling with some really existential questions, you know, like what's the quality of my life going to be? How often do I have to be in pain? Why did this happen to me? Why did I get caught in this? Why did God decide that I was the person that had to have their neck broken and was just surrounded by all of these young people who just wanted to do what young people want to do, which is yeah. just have a good time. And I'm kind of, you know, stuck in my mind with all of these very deep and intense questions. So I spent the next year struggling to get along with people, not going very well. My college had People's Choice Awards and I was voted as the kind of least liked person at my college at the end of the first year, which was, again, another thing to add to the That's a thing score. to vote to? Yeah. I was telling this story at a school on Monday and some kid put up his hand and he's like, why did they do that? And I'd actually never asked that before. But yes, apparently that was what we just decided to do back then. So <laughs> I wonder if that's still a thing someplace. I kind of want to Google it. I hope not too. That seems terrible. Hopefully the kids have grown up. I'm sure they will have. Number of thumbs down voted for. Yes. Yeah. Oh yes. man. Okay. So what happened from there then? After you got the unequivocal Facebook thumbs down, then. Yes. Got the, the severe dislike. Yeah. So then I was in my second year and I woke up one day and had a pain in my calf. No explanation. Nothing had happened. Yeah. That pain eventually became a numbness, went all the way down into my foot, up into my knee, all the way up into my hip. And I'd actually ruptured a disc in between my back. It hadn't gone through any trauma. It was because one of my legs was longer than the other. And it was bound to happen eventually. And again, because of the perfect storm of weird things like how big my spinal column is and how the canals are, the disc actually burst and started pushing directly on my sciatic nerve. So 10 out of 10 pain for the next 11 months of my life, 24 hours a day. So back onto all the painkillers, back into see the neurosurgeon and you know, told I was going to have to have a second spinal fusion. I was about 19 years old. And just got to this place where I just basically gave up. I couldn't fathom living past the age of 21. My 21st birthday was one of the weirdest experiences of my life because a huge part of me had just never expected that I would reach that place. Put on 35 kilos of weight, was depressed, anxious, had still had my PTSD, was addicted to a smorgasbord of substances and basically had just you know, decided that my hand that I had been dealt by life was so bad that I was just going to refuse to play anymore. And to cut an extremely long story short, that was my life. That was who I was. I was fat, smelly, didn't have a lot of friends. I had to get away from all of these people. I had to get away and just try and process everything that had happened to me. I had such low emotional intelligence and such low self-awareness that I didn't actually realize I'd been through trauma. That was just normal. No part of me actually decided to take a step back and decide, well, I should probably try and think about everything that had happened to me. Yeah. So, moved overseas. And whilst I was over there, a friend of mine developed social anxiety we would go out and he would have to leave the clubs we would go to because he was thought people were talking about him or whatever it is. And I looked at him and I was just so confused because I looked at him and I was like, you know, you haven't hurt your neck. You haven't hurt your back. Nothing's broken within you. So your brain must have created this, right? There is no causal link between your physical body and what's happening in your mind. So you must have caused this. And so as we would talk about this over the next two, three months, that was my starting point. My starting proposition was, I don't believe that this is set. I don't believe that this is who you are. We must be able to change this. And eventually, he was able to let his social anxiety completely go and he thanked me. And in that moment, my life changed because I realized what I had been through had taught me some lessons. And if I could figure out what those lessons are and teach them to other people, they would be happy. Now, that sounds very lovely, but it was actually quite selfish because I thought, well, if I make them happy, there's a chance, there's a probability that they will then thank me for making them happy. And then that moment of them saying thank you to me for whatever reason allows me to feel joy. And so around the same time, I learned of the growth mindset and realized I didn't like anything about myself, but I could work on all of it, which was very exciting to me. Just curious, when you're in that moment and you're in that place and you're clearly this was a progression, but when you get up to that point and you begin learning about the growth mindset, what was at that point that caused you to realize that you could change in the way that you thought about it that way. Yes. I mean, I was reading blogs on the internet. Uh-huh. Probably couldn't even remember the name of the blog. And I was just reading a story of a guy who had changed. You know, he used to be really insecure and now he was confident. And the idea that you could get better as a human being, it wasn't called a growth mindset back then. I, sure. But I know what it's called now. It still makes me smile like a four-year-old boy, that idea. Because 
it was literally salvation for me. I looked at my personality, I looked at my whole life and I didn't like a single part of it. But I saw this evidence of that's not what's important. What's important is that you can change. And it seemed such a simple idea, but it maybe goes to show you how emotionally unintelligent I was that I would have been 22 years old when I learned that, that I could get better as a human being. And I just like, I literally viewed it as my salvation. I looked at my life and I realized I'm in the hole right now. I'm overweight. I've got a smorgasbord of different mental health problems. I'm addicted to a bunch of different things, but there is a way out. And all I have to do is just work on myself. And because I was in such a hole, there was no ego involved. I wasn't so fancy that I wasn't willing to put in the work. I wasn't so fancy that I wasn't willing to have these brutal conversations with myself and really realize where I was and where I wanted to go. And so, you know, to cut it a very, very long story short, I was able to let go of the past. I let go of my anxiety, my depression, you know, lost all the weight, taught myself social skills, all of these things, all because of that simple idea of, wow, if I can get better as a person and I can teach those lessons to other people, they will be happy. And then I will be be able to feel some joy. And that's really where my life started again. And so to fast forward now, I'm in a place where I started thinking, why didn't anyone teach this in school? Like as my life started changing and I saw resilience and I really started to understand that confidence is a teachable skill. Confidence is a skill that we, at least in self-development land, we understand quite well. We understand the five to seven principles that if you just do them repeatedly and you focus and you condition them, you will actually become a confident human. So why did no one teach me this when I was 13, 14, 15? Well, I'm curious about that. This is something I think a lot about. So I'm really curious as to your opinion on some of that piece too, because I've had the same thoughts so many times. It's like, well, why don't we flip and teach this in schools? Like, obviously. But also the one thing that I keep seeing that kind of tugs on me on the other side of that is that it seems like in order to absorb those lessons, a lot of times, not all the time, but a lot of the times where it gets best absorbed is when it's in right time, place, and context, essentially when there is potential sometimes loss involved or there is something else that is creating that time and space and willingness to listen like like for yourself, like for you, like you were in the right time and space and you didn't have anything else to lose. And then you found this evidence that created hope for you. And that hope was the light at the end of the tunnel that caused you to know that you could move forward. That's how it seems like as you're describing it. That's kind of how I think about it. Like you're looking at the end of the tunnel. I don't know if that's some reason that's in my head, but this is something I think about a lot Yeah, because the way that I look at it, like if I sat down with a 12 year old Uh or a 10 year old and said, Hey, I can teach you how to be confident. I think they'd be so open to it, right? There's something about this transition into you go through puberty, your parents stop being the most important thing in your life, as in where you get your identity from, and it shifts to your peer group. And there's just something in this period between, I don't even know what the ages are. I'm not a developmental psychiatrist and don't pretend to be, but there's something in this period where for some reason, as kids are developing their identity, they think their identity is set. It's like they all have this assumption that they're building who they are and they're discovering themselves, but at the same time, they think that's set in stone. And so I actually think, and I believe in humans so much, that if we teach kids this material in a way that they can understand and we create leverage, which is just what you've spoken about, right? It's like you're in a place where you're open to this because you have enough reasons to really engage with it, that we can really get through to them. And even if that's false and what you're saying is true, they have to be in the right time and place. The whole point of what I'm doing is to at least try and give them something which is so compelling that the growth mindset gets buried in there somewhere. And so they can just live the rest of their life. And even if it's five years down the track or 10 years down the track, and they go through that challenging experience, a part of their brain somewhere remembers, hold on a second. I heard a guy speak about something about this. Maybe I actually can change as a person. And so I'm trying to approach it from both angles. I think there's probably a lot of truth in what you say, but I wonder if you know, that need for it to be at the right time at the right place, is that just something that our society has conditioned over time? Because the way we educate kids is that there is one answer in the back. You're not allowed to look at the back of the book. Don't collaborate and change is impossible. You just know who you are. Or is it just an actual fundamental principle that it's the right time and right place? I have no idea. Maybe in 80 years time, I'll have an idea. But I really look at the work that I'm doing in schools and I look at the speeches that I'm doing and I think I probably get about half of them. I think I really get, when I'm on form and really pay attention. I think I can get a half of the kids and I can really make an impact. And the other half, I think I can at least, maybe I'm not helping them see themselves in a different way, but I think at least 
I present in a compelling enough way that when they are ready to start doing that, they will at least remember some part of that or they'll remember a book I've mentioned or they'll remember something that has come up. So then when they are ready in that moment, they at least have a path forward. They know it's possible. Exactly. Just like when you discovered it was possible. Yes. I'm not sure, but it almost doesn't matter to me whether or not which of those is true as I'm still going to keep doing it. Based on all the research or actual application, I don't know that it is necessarily one or the other, and I haven't seen any evidence that it is just one or the other, but I was super curious about your take on it because of what you've done, what you've been through, and just your insight into that, I think is really, really interesting. The most curious thing happened to me after I finished speaking at this school on Monday. So I was speaking to U9 and U10, which is 14 and 15. I finished my speech. Inevitably, some people come and shake my hand, and this one little boy came up. He shook my hand and he said, thank you for not patronizing us. And I just thought, wow, just that piece of feedback fascinated me so much because whatever he is going through on earth, however he perceives the world, for that to be what he comes up and wants to say to me, of all the things he could have said, yeah. he went through my speech and he said, I need to go and say this to this person. Thank you for not patronizing me. I think that has given me a window into what it's like to be 14, 15, yep. right, or 15 and 16. And that's where I'm trying to angle everything that I do is like, I'm not here to patronize you. I am not a teacher. I am exactly like you. I have a message that has taken me a long time to learn and I can save you a lot of hard yards in life if you're open to learning the same things. If you're not, that's also completely fine, but take notes because one day you'll need them. Very cool. That is fascinating, actually, that particular message. And I think yeah. you're right. Like that one tiny message says so much about what is going on in not just his life, but potentially many other kids' lives as well and how they're looking at that. Interesting. I'm fascinated by this stuff. I was unsure about how to define myself because I've amassed a variety of skills over the years. I was confused about my professional identity and I felt lost and unsure about which route to move forward in. Okay, here's the thing. So Tinder's array of skills and his experiences, it made it really difficult for him to nail down what he actually wanted. I wanted to clarify my skills and interests with a view to identifying my next career move. When he came to us for coaching, he gained some much needed clarity. Career coaching was, has been enormously helpful in refining and defining my skill set, my strengths, my interests, and most importantly, the areas of opportunity that are now available to me. I am clearer about my identity, uh, what I can offer future employers, and also what services others can buy from me if I choose to go self-employed. Now, Sutender really put in the work to make things happen for his career. Congratulations, Sutender, on identifying what work fits you. Also, if you want to figure out what work fits you and find that fulfilling career that lights you up, gives you purpose, and want help making it happen, coaching can help you step by step. Want to find out how? Go to happentoyourcareer.com and click on career coaching to apply or simply pause this and text my coach, that's M-Y coach, to 44222. Pause right now and we'll send over the application. I would say do not hesitate to give it a go. It's absolutely an investment in yourself. So you went from having the neck brace to the second downhill to realizing that there is light at the end of the tunnel to being able to connect with schools and youth. How did all this come together for you, for what you do now? Okay, so start improving, spend about two years where I'm still at university, you know, I took a year off to go overseas where I lived with my friend and then came home and was still at university and had this realization of, wow, you know, someone should really be teaching this in schools and thought, okay, well, maybe I should be the person that should teach this in schools, right? Maybe that could be what my purpose is. And that was absolutely terrifying. It was so terrifying because I'd have to leave university. I'd have to bet on myself. I'd have to have a conversation with my parents. Like, no, 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 none of that. So, that was my number one option. That was option A. And option A was not possible because it was too scary. Okay. And I was like, all right, can't do option A. If I was going to pick an option B, what would that be like? And I was like, all right, I love people. I really want to help. Okay, great. I'll go be a doctor. Right. That's obviously of all the other jobs that I could have chosen. This is what I was thinking back then. <laughs> Speaker, doctor, yep. obviously. Yes. What else would you do? <laughs> obviously, that's how that works. So I was like, great. 
convince myself I should be a doctor. I spent the next two years studying, taught myself science, like all the things. I managed to get into a medical school here in Sydney. First day of med school was stoked. I was like, oh, this is definitely where I'm supposed to be. Everyone's talking about being a doctor. And there's this weird thing about when you're a med student, when you tell people you're a med student, people say congratulations. So you're just like, <laughs> you're just surrounded by all this wonderful validation and, and nice feelings. I'm laughing totally because I have not been saying congratulations all these years. And I just learned that I am missing out on what the socially acceptable thing to do. Yes. But that's, I, I, know, guess, right? I guess that's how I roll in everything else too. So that's okay. I didn't realize that was a thing. That's so interesting. But that also explains the validation. Yeah. People that you've never met before, they say, what are you doing? Uh, I'm actually uh, studying to be a doctor. They'll say, oh, congratulations. Oh, well done. Well done, chap. Well done. Yeah, you have this beautiful system set up to make you feel amazing. Anyway, so awesome. first day of med school, I'm like, I'm going to be a rock star. Second day of med school, first genetics lecture, my stomach says to me, Matthew, you are in the wrong place. That was obviously terrifying because the sunk cost of two years of my life getting into med school yeah. was huge. But that feeling, that, that just that nagging feeling that this was not what I was supposed to do would not go away. And I spent the next five weeks and I just want to press pause here because I teach you stuff for a living and it's very easy to listen to my story and think, oh, he had it all together. What a beautiful progression. I realized I was not supposed to be in med school on my second day and it took me another five weeks to muster up the courage to drop out. And, you know, I'm the person who helps these people think about decisions for a living. And yet, even in my own life, it didn't happen instantaneously. Like it took time. But what happened is that first day that I had that feeling, the question was, is this the right thing for me? Right? All right question. But after five weeks, that question had improved, right? Is this right for me? Is this the best way I can help people? Am I really supposed to be a doctor? And then eventually it became at 11 o'clock on a Thursday evening, am I willing to live the life of a fraud? Because I know that I am not supposed to be a doctor and I know I'm supposed to go and help kids learn confidence. And the second the question became that, in that moment, I was out of med school, right? I dropped out of med school 20 minutes later. And again, that's because courage only lasts for a certain amount of time. Courage isn't this thing where you're just walking around thinking you're the most courageous human in the world. You get courage literally 20 minutes, right? Like you think, okay, I'm going to do it. I'm going to quit the job. And then you have 20 minutes to quit, right? Write your resignation letter. You know, for me, it was jumping on the online portal and dropping out and if you don't do it in that 20 minutes or half an hour, if you don't commit in that time where you feel all the courage and you feel like you can actually do it, the courage will disappear, right? All emotional states are transient. They will fade and you'll lose that courage. So, dropped out of med school. I went and worked in a gym for 11 months as a personal trainer for three days a week and then built my business on the side. And I now basically do two things with my time. I spend a day a week in schools. I'm going to have another company called OneScope who helped kind of place me in schools. And then I spend the other five to six days a week working with people one-on-one -on -one or working with corporates or speaking. So, I wasn't actually sure that this is what I wanted to do. You know, I dropped out of med school with the idea of quote-unquote being a confidence person, right? And I didn't even know what that meant. But I knew enough of a direction that if I just started taking action in that way and because I knew it was my purpose, I just started taking action in that direction. And then eventually over time, it started becoming clearer and clearer and clearer. But it was a very messy process. I spent the first six months of my business trying to teach university students my message until I realized that not only do they not care, they just don't have enough for me to build a business there anyway. So I didn't waste my first six months, but I made a mistake there and then shifted into entrepreneurs. And that's basically where I have my business is helping entrepreneurs think about the business and themselves um, in a more effective way. So yeah, that's kind of the progression from that place. And so now it's helping people just think about their life better and then and going into schools and just really giving them what I think they should have been taught at school. So let's talk about this concept of permission, because from what you just described to me, at some point felt like after the question got better and better and better, as you got into med school, you had those sunk costs of a couple of years, you're feeling the pressure there about everything that comes with those sunk costs, regardless of whether logically it matters or not, you still feel that pressure. So you're there and then it's simmering over five weeks where did you find the permission for yourself yeah. to be able to release yourself from that? I really think it was in the power of the language of the word fraud. And I know it may, it may sound a bit strange, but it's a very different question if I ask myself the question of, you know, am I willing to live a different life, right? Or am I willing to live a safe life versus am I willing to be a fraud? And I didn't have an option but to drop out. 
because I knew I wouldn't be doing what I was supposed to be doing. And I think you can create permission for yourself. And there's a lot of different ways to create permission. You can go and friends or go speak to a parent who you know that, you know, will have your back or will give you the best advice possible. You can think about, you know, if you're 80, which one of these are you going to regret not doing and give yourself permission that way. But the big thing I think for me to realize was that I was the only one that was thinking that I needed to stay where I was. Everyone else around me wanted me to be happy. Everyone else around me was just looking for me to make the best decision that I could. And I was just walking around with these expectations that I had to be a certain way. And so I really had to give myself permission. And now when I look back and I see them through the people that I work with, there's really two ways you can try and create permission in your life. And so many of us are looking for someone to just say, you know, you can do this. We, you know, we watch a YouTube video and someone inspirational says something and we say, oh, okay, that person's done it. Now I have permission to do it. And are two main ways I see people create permission in their life. The first is to question why you think you need permission in the first place. And I've seen this being incredibly effective in one of my clients where for some reason she thought like she needed her mom to be proud of her. That was her version of permission. Mom needs to be proud of me. And I just said, well, why don't you go and have a conversation with your mom and ask her if she is proud of you? And her mom and her have a great relationship and her mom immediately said yes. And all of a sudden she was free. She didn't need permission anymore. She could go and do what she wanted. The second way that people see create permission is to try and create some form of leverage. So the most famous way is, is actually how Jeff Bezos created Amazon is yeah. he thought about where he was. He had a very nice job. I think he was a management consultant and he thought, okay, I want to go start this business. If I think about my life when I'm 80 and 90, which one am I going to regret more? He called it the Rocky chair test. And what he's doing is actually allowing himself to have permission to go for broke and try and see what happens by thinking about where he's going to be in the future. And then the other way I see that people use this is for most people who are currently in a job and I want to go think about starting a business or shifting their career, usually, not always, but usually the worst possible outcome is that they're going to be exactly where they are, meaning they will have spent some time and some money. But if it all doesn't work, they can always just go and get a job. They can always just get reemployed somewhere. And I think permission is so important. There are a number of different ways to think about it, but oftentimes it's just we're walking around with this belief that we need permission when actually there's nothing stopping us from moving forward. That is super interesting and super relevant too. I am fascinated by this concept of permission because I see it stopping so many different people. And I know that there are people that are listening. There's HTYCers that are listening to this right now that have been unintentionally waiting on permission for one thing or another. And I love the rocking chair of test in particular. I didn't realize that was a Jeff Bezos thing. <laughs> That's super cool. I use a variation of that all the time. Like when I get stuck on something, I'm like, okay, when I'm on my deathbed, then yep. is that, which thing am I going to want to do? Yes. It's actually the most common form. You know, you could call that permission. You could also call it leverage, right? Like getting a reason to make change that's yeah. more important than your reasons to stay where you are. Yeah. It's the most common form. And you hear people talk about this all the time, right? You'll be listening to interviews and you'll hear someone say something like exactly what you just said. Well, I thought about, you know, in 10 years time or 20 years time and I looked back, which one would I regret not doing? And I just decided to, to do that. One of the things I hear constantly is along the lines of people say something like, well, what I really want to do is this, but since that's not an option and then they just like roll right on to the next thing. Yes. Like, I just can't figure out what I really want to do. I'm not sure what I really want to do because what I really want to do is insert your thing here. But since that's not an option, then it's almost like we need some level of permission to stop ourselves from settling for when it's right there in the first place. So I'm curious, when people find themselves in that situation where they think that they can't do something for some yes. particular reason, and maybe don't even fully know the reason, what do you recommend for them? Absolutely. So yeah, I had this happen all the time, but the most recent one was that for coffee with someone who's an extremely successful lawyer in Sydney, has reached partner at a very, very early age, and wants more. And I was sitting down and having a conversation with him, and I was like, all right, well, like clearly if you're having a conversation with someone like me, you want to do something more, what do you want to do? He's like, I'm not sure. It's like, all right. If you did know in a hypothetical world, that isn't this world, but in a hypothetical world where you did know what you wanted to do with your life, what would you do? Immediately, because I gave him permission to say the answer, immediately, interior designer. I was like, wow, that's so fascinating. 
why don't you go start a business? And he said, okay, I've given myself the next five years to do that. And I just stopped him and I said, where have you pulled the number five years from? And I can tell you exactly what people are doing when they say things like that. What they're looking for is certainty, right? When you grow up in the corporate environment, when you grow up in an environment where you have a stable paycheck, your career progression is very easy to look at. If someone comes and tells you what to do, and I know I'm oversimplifying things, but you live in an environment where there's so much certainty around you. You never have to worry about your paycheck. You never really have to worry about a lot of the things that you do have to worry about if you're working in your own business. So you've spent 10, 15, 20 years in an environment that's ruled by certainty. And when you're in that environment, the most uncertain thing you can do is to leave your job and start a business. It's absolutely bonkers to most people to think about doing that. And so when he said to me, I'm going to leave this for five years, what he was really saying is, I believe that if I spend five years thinking about this, that I will create enough certainty in my own mind that I will be able to actually go and pursue it. So when people are saying what they really want is permission, what they're really saying is they want certainty that this is the right path for them. They want to know for sure. And the key area of growth in amongst everything that we're talking about here is recognizing it doesn't have to be certain, right? You don't have to have the perfect answer. It just has to be good enough, right? It's never, you know, I left med school and I left med school knowing that I could never get back in, right? Apparently there's this gentleman's agreement with all of the med school people, whoever they are in Australia, where if you leave med school once, you're not allowed back. They won't let you back. They don't say congratulations to you anymore. No, no, they no longer (laughs) say congratulations and you're in the bad person list. And and it was so vague, right? It was just, I want to help people be more confident. That was it, right? I had no idea what that was going to look like, but I knew that I had a reason to leave more than to stay, right? My reasons to stay were not as powerful as my reasons to leave. And the moment that flipped, and that flipped because of the question I asked myself, I actually had permission to leave. And so the key point for all these people to think about is twofold. Number one, you've actually never tried. People say, you know, oh, I want to do this, but I know that's not possible, so I'm going to go do something else. And I just say, well, hold on a second here. Have you actually tried? And it's actually really powerful to stop and, and even if they wanted to write this out, I don't know what I want to do. I really want to be an interior designer, but I can't do that. It would take at least five years. And just work through and really challenge all of those stories, all of those meanings that you've created about yourself because they're just not true. And then the second thing is, is that how easy it is to test so many of these things. Like this friend of mine who wanted to be an interior designer, he had this giant business plan in his head. Need to get a website, need to go study, need to go. I was just like, hold on a second here. Need business cards, right? Obviously, got to get the business cards. I'm not an interior designer until the, yeah. I was like, okay, let's just back up a couple of steps. <laughs> Do you have friends at the moment who are renovating their house? He said, yes, I have two. I was like, great. Why don't you ask one of them if you can design their house for free? right? They pay for all the furniture. You'll do what you would do for them. You would treat them like a client and you won't charge them any money. If they like it, you can take photos, right? And you could put it on a website. If they don't, that's fine, right? You have not paid you any money. There's zero risk on their end and there's maximum upside on your end. And now you're actually heading towards starting a business, right? Because you're taking action and you're moving forward. Now, the key point in that moment though, is that he's terrified of that. And he's terrified of that for two reasons. Number one, He's putting himself out there. He's actually putting skin in the game. And immediately, all of the people that live in his current world who think that it's bonkers to go start a business, who think it's crazy to think that you can be a lawyer and then leave and become an interior designer, right? That's insane. He's worried that all of those people are going to challenge him, right? And it's actually a pretty strong argument that he will cop a lot of feedback from that because it just sounds so insane. And the second thing is, and this is the insidious one, is he could get a no. He could actually just get rejected. And I think the fear of rejection has killed more new businesses and more new careers than almost anything else because it's terrifying, right? Not only are you putting your heart and soul out there and all of these people who you currently know could tell you that they think it's ludicrous that you want to be an interior designer, but even deeper, you're putting your heart and soul and your purpose out into the world and someone could tell you, no, it's not good enough. And that's the fear. And the good news is when I'm around someone, I can see that fear and can help them through it. But just because you're feeling fear doesn't immediately mean you can't do it, right? It's actually worth investigating that fear. And it isn't a superpower. There isn't some mythical fear investigation process. 
You just ask yourself questions like, what am I actually scared of? And again, you give yourself permission to get the answer. If I did know what I was scared of, what would I actually be scared of? And you just figure it out. And then once you actually have what you're fearful of, now you can actually try and move through it. Right? If you just feel the fear and immediately run away, then you're never going to move forward. I love that. And I like what you're talking about, particularly about the fear too, because sometimes that's a good indicator that you should be leaning into it, especially if it's something important, then you are like, we don't feel fear for things that aren't important. Zero percent of the time do we feel nervous or afraid or whatever else. We've got a coach and one of the directors of our programs, her name's Lisa Lewis on our team, and she calls that feeling being nerve-sighted. Yes. Yeah, like where you're nervous and sort of kind of excited, but yep. it's important to you, so that's why you're nervous. Yep. And I love what you're talking about in terms of feeling that out and exploring it. That's super, super cool because you do kind of have to lean into it to know really what that is. Yeah, and I think the other thing is it's just normal. Like, of course I'm going to be scared. Yeah. Like, hey, guess what? You're human. <laughs> yeah. Like, obviously, I'm going to be terrified if I've been a partner for 15 years at a law firm. Everyone in my life knows me at a lawyer. Everyone in my life thinks I'm supposed to be a certain way. And I want to leave that. And I don't even want to go start a law startup, but I want to go become an interior designer. Of course, that's going to be scary. Right. But that's fine. It's normal to be like, you just, you are who you are right? Like it's just who you are. And the only reason you're scared of these things is because decisions that you've made from an unconscious perspective throughout your whole life. Like the only reason you're scared of it is because of the environment that you were raised in. There would be some people who would love doing that sort of thing just because they were raised in a different environment. So it's just, it is what it is. You're feeling fear. That's fine. That's normal. That's just a pattern that you have in that moment. You can move through it if you want. And the only person that's stopping you from moving through that is you. And there is no master step. It's very messy. It's not easy, but the key thing is that the rewards are so worth it, right? I'm sure I'm, I'm preaching to the choir here, but like the rewards of stepping through that fear and actually deciding what you want to live, the life you want to live and carving it out, deciding the career you want to live and carving it out, the rewards are so incredible that it is worth it, but it's just so hard to see what it's going to be like when you're on the other side of the door. Right When you haven't stepped through the door yet, all of your life, you've been looking at this door like it's the scariest thing ever and you can't see it. You know, This comes up the most often for me, working with people who've motivated themselves to prove other people wrong their whole life. Right, like Those people bet me that I couldn't do this, so I'm going to go and do it. Right? It's their, like, their modus operandi of motivation. And when I ask them, I say, okay, like, what if you didn't motivate yourself from that place? And what happens if you just motivated yourself because you wanted to do something rather than, you know, you had to run away from something? And in 100% of cases, they immediately say, well, I wouldn't do anything. I'd become a bum. I'd just be a hippie. I wouldn't do anything. And I'm like, no, you wouldn't do anything because your current version of yourself, the current way you're looking at yourself, your entire life, this has been how you've motivated yourself. And so to change to something else, you have no idea what that's going to look like. But the best thing is, is because you have no idea what it's going to look like, you can decide what it's going to be. You can choose right? because there is no blueprint. You haven't made any decisions in that area yet. So when you step into the new world, you can decide what it's going to be like. And it's the same thing that we're talking about here. Like, yes, you feel all this fear and quitting your job will be maybe one of the scariest things you ever do. And you also shouldn't do that until you have a plan and you're making money and don't just quit your job today and send me an email, right? Don't do that. Okay. Unless you have a lot of money saved in the bank. I take zero responsibility for anyone quitting their job. Okay. But it's that same thing. You're terrified of what life's going to be like because you don't know what the new world is. Yet the second you step through, you can decide. I'm getting goosebumps talking about this sort of stuff because I love it so much. It's easy for me. And I'm sure it's easy for you to Scott to talk about this process now because we've been through it. But if you would have seen me in those five weeks where I was in med school, I couldn't sleep right? I was a mess, right? But it's now that I've stepped through and I understand the process and I understand courage and giving myself permission. Now, when I come up to those things in my life, it's easier because I can understand the process and I've done it myself and I've jumped off that cliff. And so now subsequent cliffs are easier. So it is possible. And it's just literally radical acceptance. It just, this is who I am. This is who I am. This is what I'm feeling right now. That's fine. But just an acknowledgement that that doesn't mean that you have to stop. You can keep moving forward. 
you can get better at cliff diving. You can get heaps better at cliff diving. This is absolutely fantastic. And I wanted to ask you just one more quick question. And that is for you, it seems like you intentionally went away. That's what I wrote down and underline and underlined because you're talking about this getting to decide who you are. And I'm curious, and I've done the same thing. Actually, I count one, two, three, or four, maybe like five or seven times in my life where I have sort of gotten away or went away or whatever. And then the act of doing so almost gives you permission. <laughs> let's let's carry yeah. on that theme to essentially evolve yourself as somebody different more quickly. So I'm curious. Have you seen that to be the case in a lot of people? Because I haven't really explored this or seen any research on this or anything else along those lines. It's just something that I've observed and something that you've mentioned several different times as we've been chatting. Yeah. So I actually copied this idea from Bill Gates. Twice a year, he does what's called a thinking week where he goes away for a week, no phone, no internet, just him and books. And he just thinks about himself and about his life. And have I seen it work in other people's lives? Yes. But the key variable is actually the time. If you just go away for a weekend, it's not long enough. It literally has to be four, five, six days because what's happening is your mind is built to both have an internal world and an external world and they're always interacting. You're always deciding where and what you should do because of the environment you're in. And when you make a radical change in your environment, right, after one day, two days, three days, four days, your brain actually stops doing all the things that it's supposed to do because of the old environment. And you actually get to look at yourself free of all of these environmental pressures, all of these shoulds that you feel like you have to do, all these decisions and meetings that you feel like you have to make, and you're free. And in that moment, you can decide how you want to be when you go back into your world. Now, the key part is that you have to make some habits and decisions because otherwise, if you go back into the world, the old world will just force you back into who you are. But absolutely, I mean, anyone who's listening to this and who feels like they need permission to do something like start a new business or whatever it is. Number one, I speak on Scott and myself here. I give you complete permission to do whatever it is you feel like you need to do, right? Except quit your job without having a plan. And number two is go away, right? Like go away, go spend five days. Don't take your phone, like literally leave your phone at home, leave your computer at home, take a journal, take some books, book an Airbnb somewhere in the countryside and just go be. And massive epiphanies will happen. Massive changes will happen if you just allow your mind to really think about your life. That is super cool. Hey, I so appreciate you taking the time and making the time and coming to us from the other side of the world. And I am curious for people that want to get more MJ, how can, how can they get more of you? Yeah. So my website, mjfitzpatrick.com, I actually give away 99% of my content. That's not me just saying that because it sounds nice. Like it's literally 99% of my content and you actually can't even buy anything on my website. So all you need to do is go on my website, mjfitzpatrick.com and I give away 99% of my work to people who take action. And so all you have to do is click on a button on my website, open up a box and you just send me an email and just you know introduce yourself. All my podcasts, all my videos, all my speeches, except for the ones in schools because I can't film them. All my blog posts, I've got a bunch of different guides like there's enough life-changing material on there that you never have to pay me a dollar. And I would just, I would love for anyone who's listening to this who thought I've given them some value or would love a little bit more, just by all means, please jump on my website and I'd love to start the conversation and really build a relationship with you. Very cool. Head on over there. It is a great place to be. Been there myself. And thank you so much again. This has been absolutely awesome. Thank you for all the thoughts on, particularly on permission and sharing your story. Super cool. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Hey, I hope you loved that conversation with MJ. We took the information in this particular episode and we created a mini guide on how to help you give yourself permission. And that way you can unleash all kinds of opportunities in your life that you didn't even know were possible for yourself. So we've, we've taken all of these pieces, put it into a mini guide that you can download on happenedyourcareer.com forward slash 185. That's happenedyourcareer.com forward slash 185. You'll also find the transcript for this episode 
right there on the page, along with a blog post that talks about giving yourself permission at the same time. Head on over to your happentoyourcareer.com slash 185 and download that guide so that you can begin giving yourself permission in your own life. So much, oh my goodness, so much fun. And even though it's difficult, so well worth doing. It just unlocks possibilities that you don't even know about. Very, very cool, right? Well, hey, I wanted to say thank you too because we've had even more people, even more people head on over to iTunes and Stitcher Radio and leave us ratings and reviews. This has been just phenomenal. And I not only does it help more people find the show, which means that we get to get to move more people to jobs that they want and help them figure out their careers and, and businesses that they want, right? But also, we just absolutely love the feedback, <laughs> So this one's from Emmy Red. She says, captivating, inspirational, and I can do it, momentum takeaway. Very cool. And she says that I can change my life if I take action. Honestly, this podcast was awesome. Top of the line advice for free. Action-oriented steps towards life and career that you love right back. After one episode, I discovered a book by Emily Wapnick that totally changed my outlook and my job obstacles and life itself, right? Very cool. Totally a must-listen podcast that offers the most current career trends equipped with some amazing thought leaders and average people all at the same time who found a system that worked for them and ran with it. I could go on and on, but I'm definitely a listener for life. Thank you so much, Emmy. And we we love having you as a listener for life. We have even more of that inspirational content coming up next week on Happen to Your Career. Take a listen for what we've got in store for you. I guess that the changing factor for me was that first and foremost, I didn't really have an understanding of values until that moment, which I look at some of the basics and then HTYC reinforced that it process, you know what I'm saying? But I thought that uh, the values were always the same. I thought that there were a standards that I had to follow at the moment. And for instance, everybody craves for power. Everybody craves for this. And because everybody craves for those things, I should look for them, you know? That was Cesar Ponce de Leon, and he's somebody who allowed us to hang out and help him out along on his journey. And he went through our Career Change Boot Camp program, but he he put together some phenomenal changes for himself. So all that, plenty more right here next week. If you haven't subscribed to the podcast and haven't actually hit that subscribe button already, I want you to do that. That way you're not wasting time downloading everything and you're not wasting time trying to, to find us again. Just, you know, hit it once and get it in your sleep from here on out. Why wouldn't you want to do that? You can go and spend your time doing other things like I don't know, getting work you love and all that sort of deal. We'll see you right here next week for Happen to Your Career. I am out. Adios. Okay. Worst case scenario here, if for some reason this doesn't okay. work, we can we can find another time where like the Skype gods are not I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> the Skype <Scott> gods. <laughs> oh my goodness.